This morning we're going to talk about life interrupted, and I want to tell you a story about a life that got interrupted. Um, you know, I love stories about God interrupting our lives. And periodically at Parker Ford Church, we actually lay aside a Sunday. We set it aside as a devoted time to hear the stories of people who God has done something remarkable in their life. He stepped in in some way that nobody saw coming, and they stand up here and they tell the story. And, you know, Bob Latcha, our previous pastor, our pastor emeritus, was one time after one of those said, that's a better sermon than I've ever heard in this church, after one of those stories. And I love those stories, right? So I'm going to tell you a story like that, and then we're going to talk about something completely different. In fact, we're going to talk about opposite the opposite of that this morning. And so just bear with me for a second. I have this friend, Bob, and Bob is the most aggressive person I've ever met in my life. Honestly, he is just absolutely aggressive. I might have told you about him before. He's a good friend of mine. One day I invited he and his wife to a couple's retreat, and he's so aggressive he told me, I don't retreat. I never retreat. Why would you ever retreat? And I said, well, if we called it the couple's flanking motion, would you go? And he said, you know, I'm still not going. I don't have nothing to do with that. He just, and he talks in short bursts, and he's quick, and he's energetic. He has a company that he runs. He owns it, and it's got a few hundred employees, and he's just a guy who makes a difference. And, but he's a guy who walks with Christ in his short little soundbite sort of way and in his aggressive intentionality and in his, his kind of very, very business-like attitude. He's walking with Christ. And I, after years of being his friend, realized this guy has a deep and profound relationship with Jesus. And it was really different than mine, really unique. It's hard to see him sitting alone quietly with a cup of coffee, reading his Bible or praying or any of that. It's just, he's going for it. Wherever he's going, he's going for it. So I finally asked him, I said, you know, I've met some of your family members, your extended family. They don't know Jesus, right? And he's like, no. In fact, none of my family knows Christ. I said, you're an elder in a church. You're a leader. You're somebody who walks in the kingdom. I said, so how did you get here? What's, what's your story? And he said, well, God interrupted my life. And let me tell you this story. It's kind of strange. I said, okay, I, I got to hear it after you said that. He said, you know, I was in the merchant marines and I was sailing around the world and I, I got on leave and I had this Harley. In fact, I had a Corvette and a Harley and I had a group of friends that drove around in these, in these Harleys and we decided to go to the beach and we were going to stay overnight at the beach. So we, the group of us, you know, in our loud Harleys drove up to the beach and we got a campsite. You know, I pulled up at the campsite and they parked their stuff and they put the tents out and they got ready. And he said, there was this family parked next to them. And he said, so we went down to the beach, and I saw that family's daughter. Now, this is how you met Jesus. And I was like, really? You, this, is, this is the story of how God got a hold of you? He said, yeah, because it sounds like it's about a girl. And he said, well, well just stay with it. And so I, I said, okay, keep talking. He said, so I thought, that girl is so beautiful. I got to go meet her. That's what he says. And I said, okay, what happened next? And he said, this guy with a stern visage came out of nowhere and stood between me and her. And he said, that's my daughter. And if you want to talk to her, you need to meet Jesus Christ. He was a Baptist deacon. And my friend Bob honestly met Jesus that way. I don't think that would work for anybody else in the planet, but somebody had to hit him in the face. And he said, well, I really wanted to meet that girl, so I had to meet Jesus first. And I said... And that's how it actually, I mean, no Billy Graham crusade, no, you know, come to the altar moment, none of that, no, no, it was just on the beach, and this guy said, if you want to meet my daughter, you got to meet Jesus first. And 40 years later, that woman is his wife, and they have three kids, and they're all adults, and he has walked with God and is an elder in a church. 
God interrupted his life. He thought he was going this direction. He had a kind of a plan. He thought he was going to make a lot of money. He thought he was going to run a business. He thought he was going to have a lot of fun and have a lot of toys. And he did a lot of that stuff, but he did it inside the kingdom of God because of a moment when God interrupted his life. You know, God isn't the only one to interrupt lives. God isn't the only one to interrupt lives. And this is where this whole story turns because we love to hear stories like my friend Bob's. We love to hear stories like people at Parker Ford Church who have had their lives changed, who have given up some life of whatever it was, and now they're walking with Jesus. And we love those stories. But, you know, we have someone else on this planet who interrupts life. Let me show you a little bit what I mean. And I got to start by talking a little bit about Jesus. You know, Jesus had a mission statement and it was found in John 10.10. You can look up on the screen and read it with me. It says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. He came that we could have abundant life. That was Jesus' mission statement. You know, the, the New Testament, Romans specifically, tells us that the wages of sin are death and the gift of God is eternal life, right? When we sin, there's this death that enters the world and our world is filled with this darkness that comes from this death, but it has an enemy and that enemy is actually the Son of God and God himself who have poured life into our lives over and over again. And Jesus came that those of us who had walked in death and in darkness could turn the light on and have the light poured into our life and our lives changed by his life. That's what Jesus did. Eternal life could be defined this way. It's the authority, the power, and the truth of Jesus coming from up into our lives and then flooding out to those around us. That's a great picture, is it not? And Jesus came that we would have so much of this life that it would just pour into our lives and it would change us, transform us, alter us, and that it would be to the fullest, that we would be filled up to the overflowing point with what God is doing in our life, that he would pour into us. Jesus said another line, This is John chapter 15. You can read it with me. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And Jesus is literally saying, you got to stay attached. Some versions of the Bible talk about this verse. They use a a different word than remaining. It says abiding. It means living inside of Jesus, staying connected and having this flow of life-giving energy poured into our lives daily, every day, walking in it, walking in it. But we have someone who interrupts all of that, right? You know, as much as we can say my friend Bob and most of us here have at some point in our life had God interrupt us. We, had, we thought we knew where we were going and God stepped in and he changed our mind about that. And that was to our benefit. That blessed us. That blessed him. It started this life flowing that God wants to be about in our lives. As much as we can say that, we can also say we have an enemy who stops that life flowing for brief moments. There's kind of intermissions in our lives where we get distracted and we get focused off here, there, or the other thing. In places that we would never go, thoughts we would never think, attitudes we would never have, and actions we would never act out become thinkable because we walk out of this presence and we listen to somebody else. The Bible refers to him as Satan. That's literally a Hebrew word. You're not speaking English when you say Satan. That's actually a Hebrew word, and it means adversary or enemy. Revelation calls him the accuser of the brothers. And Jesus himself called him a liar and the father of lies. He deceives people into thinking that what the reality is is different than they've experienced. You know, this happens all the time in our church. 
This happens all the time. And it's why this is such an important thought. Because we come to this moment and we experience God. The praise team is singing these wonderful songs and we get into the lyrics and we start to feel God active in our life and we can feel that life kind of flooding into us. The spirit of what God is doing impacts us powerfully and we see a difference and we see a change in our own internal lives. And yet we walk out the doors and something happens. We run into some moment that makes the unthinkable thinkable. We would never say certain lines when we're in church, right? We would never say certain things. We would never think that we would act certain ways when we're experiencing God in here. But then we walk outside. I attended an anti-drug rally in Pottstown this year, and they had this group come in. It was the Teen Challenge Choir from Germantown outside of Philadelphia. And they had all these folks come up and sing, and then they started to share their story, and it was just powerful. And this one guy got up to tell his story, and he said, I've been in the program for about a month. He said, I'm a heroin addict, and I grew up in Pottstown. And he said, I'm really struggling. And instead of giving his testimony, usually there's these great rags-to-riches tales that these guys tell. And instead he said, you know, I I need to tell you I'm really struggling because I used to get high right over there with my mom who is my my buddy in in drugs and we used to get high right here and I'm just jonesing for it now because it's been a month and I've been free of this and now I'm walking back into this place where I used to walk that's where a lot of us are right a lot of us experience these difficulties it may not be heroin for you it might be something else but you have moments in your life where you walk back into another situation it might be a relationship In your home, the relationship between you and your spouse is stagnated and you're paralyzed and you can't make any motion forward in what God has for you with his eternal life because you're bitter or you're angry or whatever it might be. It might be that you have a work experience that's just very, very negative with critical speaking people all around you and you're constantly drawn into the negative and it's hard to keep your spirit in a place where God's life is flowing in here and you're changing the world with his power. That happens to a lot of us. You know, Jesus' half-brother, and you know why I'm saying he's his half-brother, right? Jesus' half-brother was a guy named James, and he put it this way in the New Testament. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. You know, God fills our sails with wind. He moves in our life, and we've felt that. We've had moments where we've felt his energy, his life-giving power, the authority, power, and truth of Jesus come into our lives and set us free to do things and and be a part of things that we never would have thought. And we were interrupted by God, and it's a blessing. But there's somebody else out there. There's another wind blowing, so to speak. And spiritually, you know what happens when wind blows from opposite directions? I've been on Lake Michigan. My friend Bob is a competitive sailor as well as being the most aggressive guy I ever met. And he actually got me to competitively sail in a race across Lake Michigan one day. And it was so much fun. We were going all day and it wasn't, it wasn't really a brisk wind. And then we got about three quarters across the way and the, the wind shifted. And there was kind of wind coming from two different de- directions intermittently. And the, the sail was going back and forth. The boom was turning from one side to the other. And the waves, they started to build and then they, weren't know, they didn't know where they were going. You could watch a wave, and usually on the shore, you can see a set come in, right? You can just kind of see them coming towards the shore, hitting one after the other. There's a pattern to it. But in the middle of Lake Michigan, when the winds start to come from all opposite directions, I tell you what, those waves don't know where they're going, and neither do you in a boat. You start to feel this unpredictable nature. You, you start to wonder, where am I going? It starts to worry you. 
What James is talking about when he says this is he says, you know, when God blows in your life and he shows you his energy, his life, and you feel a bit of that, and then you listen to something else, even for a brief moment, your life, the life of Jesus Christ in you, gets interrupted. You lose what he's doing for a brief moment. And that abiding, that remaining in him that's supposed to continue, it stops. The sap that's supposed to come up from the trunk of the tree stops in your life and you start losing energy rather than gaining it. That cup that in John 4, Jesus says, is supposed to overflow in your life, it starts to drain out the bottom into the desert sand. And your life stops being what it's all about. You become a life interrupted. God is not the only one to interrupt our life with his life, We actually have an enemy who interrupts our life with death, with darkness, with evil, with hurt, with pain. And this morning we want to talk about that. We've thought about this for a long time. We want to have a moment where we can experience what God has for you. I want to give you some examples of what these interruptions look like. And then Tim's actually going to come and share the rest of the message about what God wants to do in your life this morning pertaining to the things that may be interrupting you. Here are some examples of things that are interruptions, and maybe there are some of those that take place in your life. Maybe there are things that you struggle with, or maybe it's another list completely than this. The first one, anger. You know, I have, uh, I don't usually lose my temper, um, but I got to tell you, when I'm getting my kids ready to go someplace, is a moment when disproportionate to the crimes of my kids, okay? You know, disproportionate to the crimes of my kids, I get frustrated. And then it builds inside me just a little bit. And nobody knows it. My, my daughter told me last night, she says, when you get this look, you actually, your lip changes a little bit, dad. And I know where you're at because your face actually alters. She can feel it on me. She knows what's going on when I get like this, right? And maybe at some point, and this doesn't happen often, but every now and then, maybe I actually bark out at them, you know? Maybe they're not afraid I'm going to hurt them in any physical way, but I do take away the peace. We're, we're on our way from bed to brushing teeth to getting dressed to eating breakfast to getting our book bags all ready and the lunches in them, and we're going out the door on Friday morning, and then they don't quite... One of them goes back to get a stuffed animal, and I'm always... That, that happens almost every time. And that moment just undoes me inside. It, it just takes what's inside here and unravels me, and I just lose it, you know? And then I watch as the life that I was able, God, life, and Josh, flowing into his kids, it stops. And all of a sudden they look at me like, oh, we got to, you know, we got to tighten up. We got to do what's right. But they're not doing what's right for the right reasons anymore. The life has stopped. It's just an interruption, right? It'll come back. They, They know that I love them. I say, I love you unconditionally, right? But not if you don't hurry when I tell you to. You know, it's just a brief moment of interruption. But the life has stopped flowing. That's a small example. It could get big, right? Get angry too many times and your kids start to have the life interrupted in them. And they're an example of the out. They're my out. It flows from up and in and then it goes out to my kids. And when I let that happen, I've lost something with my children. I've lost a moment and the life has stopped flowing. Maybe you're somebody who's given in to despair in your life. There's not a week that goes by that Tim and I and others of us as leaders don't talk with people who are in the middle of depression, hopelessness, despair. You may even have been diagnosed. You may have a clinical situation going on where you're on medication or whatever it might be. But God knows that you have this energy that comes from him. And then for whatever reason, you walk into some moment in your life and you experience hopelessness. You see things contexted in a different place and you lose all of it. It drains 
drains out the bottom of your cup and you lose what Jesus wants to do in your life. I don't know how that works for you. I don't know how it works for every person individually, but I know that that is an interruption in God's best plan. It's his authority, power, and truth not getting through, not setting us free, not walking us into what God has as for us is best. It's not life to the full. There's this thing called bitterness. And as often as we talk about anything in this church, we have to talk about bitterness. It's not Parker Ford Church. That's every community on earth. We get something that goes wrong between us and a person in our lives, some relationship that has been damaged. And, you know, we're about to head towards Thanksgiving, and after that comes Christmas. And along with those different, you know, holidays come family events, right? Family gatherings. And you're going to see that brother-in-law again. And you're going to feel that twinge, whatever it might be. Or maybe it's your mother-in-law. Or maybe it's, I don't want to pick on the in-laws. We'll just pick on, I don't know who it is. It might even be your spouse. But the life of Jesus stops in your life when you stop looking at him and start looking at that person. And it's like the flow is stopped up. And your life has been interrupted. Just a few more examples before we move forward. The, the fourth one, addictions, that's maybe a little more obvious. Maybe you really do struggle with one of those substances. Maybe it's prescription medication. We have a lot of that in our community. We have a lot of those struggles where people are doing the right thing. They're following a doctor's prescribed action, but they actually go too far, and it starts to be more, and it controls them. Maybe it's something you're looking at. Maybe you're attracted sexually to something that you shouldn't be, and you need to be set free from that, and it's interrupting your life. Maybe you just want to eat all the time. I don't know what it is for you, but these are things that honestly can get in the way of Jesus flowing into your life the way he is designed to and the way he wants to, giving you life and having it to the full. Maybe it's relationships, false ones. Maybe you're codependent on somebody. You're stuck on talking through every decision with another human being in your life and you can't actually talk with God and get his wisdom about something because you're too busy asking everybody else's. You know, I've asked advice from people periodically in my life, and I love it when I go to somebody over here and I say, hey, what do you, want to, what, what do you think about this situation? And they say, well, you've got to do this, and they get all impassioned, and they tell me exactly how I should do it. And then I go ask this person, and they tell me exactly the opposite, right? And then all of a sudden, that wave of my mind, it's going all over the place, and I'm interrupted. I'm not listening to Jesus. I'm listening to all these people. Now, it's not that advice isn't good, but it's who we hear first, right? It's who we hear first. Are we going to God first and listening for his life-giving wisdom and truth being poured into our existence? Last one before we move forward. The last one is just habits of escape. You know, the average American family watches four hours of television. One out of six minutes of their life is given to television. Isn't that a staggering statistic? You know, it's really easy when you had a rough day and your kids are bouncing around, and they want to they talk and hang out, and you go, you know if you turned on SpongeBob, it'd be all over. We'd have peace can reign supreme in a house because of SpongeBob. I'm serious, you can. And you push on the TV, and you just sit there, and you go, I can just fall asleep. I can let them veg out, and we can have a peaceful evening. And all of this angst that's inside of me, it, we can just escape it. But it's actually escaping God's plan as well. Now, I'm not telling you don't watch TV. I'm not telling you this isn't a legalistic sort of thing where we say this is wrong. What it is is saying when you have these feelings, where do you take them? Are you looking for Jesus' life-giving power in your life? Are you looking for God to work and do this amazing work? Are you looking for his authority, power, and truth to flow in here and alter this stuff that's going on? Or are you just looking to somehow be clicked out, vegging on whatever is around you? 
Whatever it is that interrupts you, God wants to set you free. And we've talked about this for some months. About six months ago, I was sitting in a service and I started to pray about God setting us free because of some people who had shared with me and things I've seen in my own life where I said, you know, the unthinkable becomes potentially possible at Parker Ford Church periodically. People who say, I would never do whatever it is. I would never have an affair. I would never try this drug. I would never try this bit of whatever it might be. I would never do this. I would never grow so depressed that I would fall all apart. And then we do. Because we walk out the presence of God. We walk out the presence of God and our life gets interrupted in some way. And then the thinkable that we would never ponder, the things that we would never think we were going to do, would all of a sudden become part of who we are. And we add them to the stuff that we're a part of. And then we drag our families into it and it goes and damages us deeply. I want you to begin to think, are there things that are interrupting your walk with God? Are there things that are keeping you from walking with Jesus and having life and having it to the full? Are there things that are between his authority, power, and truth being poured inside of you and then flowing out to the life-giving nature for everybody around you? Are there things that are interrupting that? Tim's going to come and finish this message, and we're going to hear what we're supposed to do with all that truth. But keep pondering. Just keep thinking. Where am I with Jesus? And what does he want to share with me about my life this morning? It was about six months ago that Josh uh, came to me to talk about this Sunday. Um, it wasn't, the, the date wasn't this, this date necessarily. It just came with an idea. He said, I was praying and uh, just really sense that there needs to be a moment where uh, we kind of take stock of our lives and what is interrupting, you know, what God's trying to do in our lives. Because he's like, you know, lots of times on Sunday mornings we have these incredible moments with the Lord, you know, and we're aware of things and we see things clearly. And when we do, it's like, wow, that was like a magical moment. And it, it might even be deeply convicting, you know, uh, but then like, if our life doesn't really change, then, you know, what, what's it worth in the end? And, and so there's spiritual stuff that affects us on that level and that we need to have a moment where we can pray through that together and where we can go after that and invite people to, to you know, just receive prayer and, and do business with that stuff with God because in the end, it's not about us and us figuring it out. It's about God and Him figuring it out and take care of it, taking care of it. And so that was about six months ago that Josh had been praying during a time when I was, I was teaching on a Sunday morning, and a lot of times Josh will leave the sanctuary when I'm preaching, and he'll just go and pray because we believe that the power of God working in a life happens more through prayer than it does through just words. And so he was in the middle of one of those times, and then he came and talked to me. Well, we were in the middle of the Corinthian series, still are. You know, it's like almost a full year series, this series in Corinthians that we've been in, and we've been trying to wait for the right moment to have this Sunday and today was this, the time that we decided to do that. And uh, so the, the idea, it was Josh giving teaching about, you know, how our lives get interrupted, but then really to, to give space for us for prayer, um, to just, and, and not, not to hype us up about our spiritual lives, just to matter-of-factly talk about what the issues are that we struggle with and then receive prayer over it. Because this isn't a thing, if we have a pep rally around our lives, which we often do here on Sunday mornings, you know me, I get all excited and freak out and stuff because I want us chasing God and everything, and, and the scriptures are just worth getting excited about. But sometimes if we respond emotionally, it, um, it's momentary, and it's not 
deeper than that. Um, and so the whole point is, is to look at something deeper. And one of the things to, in, in the reflection of that, and this is just going to be a couple minutes here with me. I'm not, um, I'm not really teaching. I'm just setting up what it is that we're about to do. Um, but in evaluation of our own lives and reflection on what Josh is talking about with the interruptions, I want you to think about a quote. There's a quote from the uh, namesake of the college where Josh and I and Paul and Beth and Jen all met, uh, was at Moody Bible Institute, named after Dwight L. Moody. And uh, this is a quote that, uh, kind of one of his famous quotes, Dwight L. Moody stands for Dwight Lyman Moody, by the way, if you're looking for another name for your next kid. Lyman, I thought it was cool. This is a joke, don't do that. Um, <laughs> the, uh, th- this is the quote. He said, I thought when I became a Christian, I had nothing to do but just lay my oars in the bottom of the boat and float along. Okay? Hear that again. I thought when I became a Christian, I had nothing to do but just lay my oars in the bottom of the boat and float along. This guy thought, all right, I come to Christ. It's about his grace and his movement. I'm going to pull the oars in my boat, lay them on the bottom, and I'm just going to chill at this point. But I soon found out that I would have to go against the current. That's a much more profound statement than it sounds like at first. When I came to Christ, I thought I just pulled the oars in the boat and chilled out. And then I realized I would have to go against the current. He doesn't say what it is that he's going to do. He doesn't say if he's going to put the oars back out. He doesn't say if he's going to get on his knees. He doesn't say what it is he's going to do. All he says is, but I realized that I have to go against the current. So (laughs) what is he saying? What he's saying is, I pulled the oars in and I sat him on the bottom of the boat and I said that I trust Jesus, but wait a minute, I'm still going with the flow, you know? And so something isn't working. My life isn't changing the lives of those around. My life isn't all that radically different than everyone else's. I might think differently or believe differently, but am I really radically, drastically, culture? culturally irrelevant you know am i going against the culture am i counterculture am i creating a different culture and when god moves in our life it produces fruit there's fruit all over our lives and it looks much different than what the world produces and so uh you know this is this is the kind of thing that we want to think about um before we close up in a time of prayer james uh one five is what josh was just reading from where he's talking about the waves being tossed to and fro you know, if we're asking God for wisdom, but we're not believing and holding on to that wisdom, then we're like a wave tossed to and fro. You get that concept? If I'm asking God for direction in my life, but then I'm not following in that direction, then I'm like a wave tossed to and fro. God, give me what I need. Help me understand. And then I go to my life and I'm not following what he just gave me. What's the point of asking for wisdom if I'm not going to trust him with it, Right? It's pointless. So why would he give us wisdom then? Because we're not going to use it anyway. You know, what's the point? Then we're like waves tossed about. Later on in the chapter, it says this. In James 1, 22 to 24, it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I heard a a speaker speaking on this passage not too long ago, and uh, he was talking about how how much more relevant this passage is now 
than it even was back then, which is usually not the case. But he's like, we have way more mirrors than they had back then, you know? And, uh, you know, they looked into a bucket at water to kind of figure out what they look like, you know? And he's like, we actually have really good mirrors. He's like, you know, most of their lives, many of them went through most of their lives not really knowing what they look like, you know? And he's like, and, and the, the guy says, that's kind of how I was in middle school. Like, I didn't care. I was just playing with my friends. I didn't care how I looked, you know, uh, when he was this little dude, you know, or in elementary school. But most of us care very much how we appear. And most of us spend a fair amount of time in the morning trying to figure that out a little bit. You know, we got to get a shower and get dressed and put on decent clothes and make ourselves look decent. One side of the gender, really, it's almost like a, a... a responsibility that, that like, seems like cultures put on the ladies to, like, figure that out even more than us guys. You know, I don't know how that works. I, we'll just say on behalf of the guys, we actually probably appreciate it more than we'd admit, you know, and all of that. And uh, y- the thing is, I know that many, many of us spend time, you know, figuring out what we look like and, and how to shape that. And, and, and we know how long we spend in the morning in front of a mirror is as long as it takes to get it better right? That's the whole point is like, you just get it better. You wake up in the morning and there's like, you know, you got drool all over the set, <laughs> whatever. You know, we have, we have issues about, about ourselves when we look in that mirror. If we just looked in that mirror and then we turned around and walked away, forgetting what we look like, it would not be okay. We would not say to someone when they said, are you okay? Like, you got a crazy bed head and, like, you're just looking rough today. Are you all right? We wouldn't say, oh, yes, yeah, no problem. I looked in the mirror. You know, that, that, it doesn't matter. Who cares if you looked in the mirror? You walked away and forgot about it, you know? And it doesn't matter if we look in the mirror. And Sunday after Sunday or devotion after devotion, we can go and look into the scriptures and look in the mirror. And it says something to us. It reveals something to us. But then so often we walk away. And nothing changes. We merely hear the word. We don't do the word. And that is not, and I want to repeat this, this is not because we haven't tried. See, that's the thing. Is that our response is usually, i got to try harder to implement the word. But see, we're un- we understand that when we look in the mirror, we can actually do something about it. To a degree. You know, to a degree. We can do some things about it. But we can't actually alter our DNA. We can't change the shape of our face. We can't move our bones around without seriously dangerous surgery. You know, we can't can't do that. And in the same way, even deeper than that, we can't change what we see in our heart when we look in the mirror of God's Word. I can't do it. I just can't do it. I need Jesus. You know, that's so I turn to Him. And this is why we say it is by grace that I'm saved. I can't change myself. He can change me. It's by His grace that I am saved. But we access that by what? It's by grace that we are saved through faith. And faith requires action. It's not the action that changes us. It's the action that accesses God's grace. Right? And so, you know, when the the friends wanted their paralyzed friend to be healed, what did they do? They tore apart the roof of that house and carried him on a stretcher and took him over and they dropped him down in the middle of the the building in order to get him to Jesus. And what did Jesus say? Well, your faith. Oh my goodness. Now, the transformation happened because of Jesus' grace, right? But their faith accessed it. Remember the Jordan River when they had to cross the Jordan River with the Ark of the Covenant? Put the covenant 
the, the, the ark on their backs and they start walking into the Jordan River and flood stage Jordan River and they're walking deeper and deeper into it and then slowly the water starts to go down. But they had to walk in. There's faith required that. Even Christ, when he's feeding the 5,000, he breaks the bread and hands it out. You never see just a pile of food show up. You see him take an action and do what he's supposed to do in trusting and, and in stepping out in faith. And then the grace is just present, the multiplication. And so the action of the transformation of the human life, is it's a both end, you know? And there's a tension there. But the tension is, is only this. It's that it's all by God's grace, not by human effort. And yet we can't actually access his grace without taking steps of faith. And those things are action. And they don't change my life. God's grace does. But sometimes I have to get humble and I have to confess my sin and I have to say to God, this is the stuff that's interrupting the flow and I struggle with it and I need help. Which is why in James, after he tells everyone not just to to listen to the word, not just to hear the word, but to do it. And he goes on and on trying to tell them how to practically live. Finally, at the end of the book, we get to James chapter 5. And this is what he says. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church to pray over them and to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Whatever stands in the way of the life flow of God to us right now, Whatever's blocking us from taking the things that we believe in and actually having them be a reality in our lives. It's not anything that any of us can just change on our own, most likely. You know? it's, some of it might be cosmetic. Some of it might be that we need to fix up our hair and put some makeup on or wear a different kind of clothes or take a shower. But chances are the, differ, the, the biggest parts of what's going on in our lives are not just making some lifestyle adjustments that we can actually control. Chances are there's a deeper part that really needs to be transformed. And we need to do what James says at the end. I'm in trouble. I have sin. I've got to confess it to my brother and sister. And I need to ask the elders for prayer. And I need help. You know, I, can't, I keep trying to fix this thing and it's not fixing itself. You know, I actually need some help here. And this isn't, this isn't about any magic moment. This is about the grace of God, following the word, saying I need help. And sometimes when we say out loud to someone else what we're actually struggling with, it takes the power away from that thing. And we also come to terms with the reality of like, all right, I got to actually own this at this point. I can't deceive myself in thinking this isn't a reality. It is. And now that I've named it, it's going to lose its power because we're going to pray and Satan doesn't have the shame hold on me anymore. It's out in the open. And, and other times what we need to do is just say, hey, I need some help and I need some prayer and I need some anointing, you know, and we practice that here. And so what we're going to do um, with, the, with the last few minutes here is we're just, we've reserved the front rows here for people to come and sit and receive prayer if they want. We're going to play some music and just take some time to reflect, you know, um, and do business with God in your heart, you know. And if you want prayer, possibly anointing, uh, the elders and Josh and I are on standby to, to pray with you. 
Um, and so if you come and sit in one of these rows, we'll, we'll come and attend to you and pray with you um, and just ask God to break through. That's if, you, if there's things that you need to talk about in that moment and share with us, great. If there are things that you're not interested in on that level, on sharing, but you just want prayer, just come up and we'll just pray with you. If you're at a spot where um, it, things seem cool and you're not at a spot where you need any kind of spiritual breakthrough at this point, then be praying for all of us as a church. This is kind of a family moment. You know what I mean? This is kind of a family moment for us to just work on stuff together as a family. We're not just a worship service. We're also a, a church family. And this is a moment where God puts people in place to pray for other people and asks us to help one another out and that type of thing. And so that's the point here. And again, this is not a, a big emotional appeal for a grand moment. This is just, hey, man, I got stuff going on. Needs prayer. I can't fix this. God can. Here's my step of faith. I'm coming out and asking him for some help. You know. So that's the idea. Join me in prayer for a minute, and then the music will start. God, we ask for your spirit to be very present right now. And... Um, we just know that, uh, that you have the power to heal us. You've healed us consistently. So many of us, God, have watched healing take place in our life. And I, I don't mean just physical healing, although some of us have experienced that. But, but many of us have experienced transformation of one kind or another in our lives. We've watched you provide for us. We've watched you take care of our families. And we've seen all sorts of different things. But that doesn't mean we're all fixed, you know? It doesn't mean that the process is by any means over. There's all sorts of times where you're wanting to flow much more into us. And as Josh has uh, in detail showed us today, there are all sorts of ways that that flow gets interrupted. And we don't want it to be interrupted, honestly, you know. But we're, we get addicted or we get stuck or we get whatever, you know. And God, we're just asking right now that as a church, you'd help us to take the next step past some of that stuff. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.